Welcome. I'm the Parliament Raven. Season's greetings. Pull up a seat. Pour yourself a glass of spiced tea. My name's Jason Rodriguez, and I'm the Parliament Raven. Today, I just want to sit and talk with you about restorations and icons. Kind of a weird double topic, right? But the instance that I put this together for our discussion today, it didn't seem to mesh well by itself. One needed to be with the other. So we're going to start with the idea of, of the Christian icon here in America and what the Christian icon in America is. And the Christian icon in America is really like this model of what people expect Christians to be, right? You say Christian to at church, and you have this idea, this impossible idea, like a stone-carved statue idea of being a believer who follows Christ here in America. Let's look at some of the requirements that I've come up with from just thinking about it, as I've heard it throughout my lifetime. Blameless, popular, sometimes rich, or at least debt-free, above temptation, mistakeless, perfect, meek, with just a dash of, of pride of being a Christian, right? You get this idea of you can't, Fuck up if you're being a Christian. You can't mess up. And so you go to church, and they want you to wear a three-piece suit in some churches. And some churches, nowadays, you can wear your jeans and, and a shirt that says, going for God. And it has some sort of Bible quote, uh, John 3.16. Um, you have your hair. You have your, your children there. They're also dressed uh, in their Sunday best. And you put on this, sh it seems like a show to be perfect, right? You can't, there's, you can't talk about struggles. You can't talk about heartache. You can't talk about what's going on. And, and if you do, you, you keep it to a, a minor, well, I'll pray for you, brother, in response. And if you mess up, you're right out. You're, you're ostracized, you're pulled from ministry, and God forbid you're struggling, because a good Christian doesn't struggle. And the Bible seems to contradict this ideal that we have been perpetuating in Christianity in America, especially the evangelical branch, the evangelical stream, branch or stream, use your, you choose your analogy, so much so that people are leaving, and we've talked about that in previous episodes. But I want to set up for the idea of what happens when people fall from this icon that we're, that's expected of us. And I want to start with what, how the Bible views this concept, right? What does the Bible say about our righteousness, about our getting it right, about our hitting the mark? Well, Romans 3 22, 23, the righteous of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have 
sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has messed up and continues to mess up. It's why Jesus came down and laid down his life. Good news, right? It could all be wiped away, blotted out. So, the Bible also has examples of people who are considered icons, who are considered role models that are done messed up before they got there. You have Samson. He was a judge. He broke everything that was required of him up until he revealed finally that his hair uh, was his strength and the woman who he wasn't supposed to be dating cut it off and he lost his powers. You have David, shepherd boy, running from the king, wouldn't lay a hand on the king, but once he was king, laid his hands on another man's wife, and when things went awry and he got her pregnant, killed the man so he could take the woman as his wife to try to hide his sin. You have Peter, the greatest rock of a disciple, right? The Catholic Church calls him the foundation of the church. It's how the popal authority exists. Peter denied he knew Jesus three times while Jesus was being tried by the Sanhedrin. Aren't you his his friend? Hey, no, that no, I I don't know that that guy. No, I I, I don't. I, I said I don't know that guy. I don't know that guy. Right? You have James and John who uh, altercation with Jesus around, and they're like, we can call down fireballs and lightning and thunder and ultimately obliterate them if you want us to. And Jesus laughed and looked at them and said, sons of thunder, chill out. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, but it's probably something like chill out. Uh, Chosen has a great scene uh, for that if you you do watch that series. And I do recommend that. Um, And I'm not getting paid to say that. It's just a good story interpretation of the word. Notice I said story. They're trying to be as accurate as possible, but it's still a story. Uh, You have Thomas, who doubted, had to see Jesus in his resurrected form, put his fingers through the holes from from being nailed to the cross, uh, the the hole in his side from uh, being speared. Um, And then finally you have the person who wrote uh, the epistles, after after Jesus' words, Paul himself, who was a murderer, who murdered Christians. What? You're not following Jewish tradition and law and you're turning away? I'm going to kill you, fervently, because it's God who wants me to kill you. Uh, and God's like, no, I don't. And he's like, oops. And God forgave him. And he's been impacting the believers since then. And we have the audacity to say, if you mess up... There's no hope. You, you're, you've messed up your ministry forever. You're done. You're no good. You're not a Christian superstar anymore. What? You've lost your faith? Huh. We don't need you anymore. Go, you're going to go to hell. Who are we? What, what audacity, right? That... that the Christian body of believers here in America can sometimes have a prideful audacity 
to because of this icon, because of how we're supposed we view that we're supposed to be, that we're not weakened branches, that we're not weakened vessels, that we have to be these perfect statue-esque Christians to the world, rather than being loving and accepting and letting God sort out the sin and helping people in their looking for restoration and healing and breaking free of bondage. Some people just know they're in bondage to certain things and just want help. And some people know they're in bondage and don't want help. Hey. So, James 5, 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So there's our challenge. There's our goal. There's our directive. Go and get those who have wandered. When I originally had intended to, was to go over a, a list, a, a huge list of, of major Christian people who have done some tremendously horrible things and not so horrible things, and have been crucified uh, by the American church. I have over 20 people here, and the list is far longer, and the people are far more bitter about it. And and the thought is, uh, were they putting their hope and trust in these people, or were they putting their hope and trust in God? And that's a question for, for the person to ask themselves, and yourself, if you put your pastor before for the Lord. it's a, I'm challenging you to, to think about that. Do you put your leaders before you do, God, and if they mess up, are, is it going to destroy your life? Because in seminary, I saw, uh, I had major people fall. I had Ted Haggard, and I had uh, Richard Roberts fall, and it de- decimated some students' lives. They, they started doubting. It started to, you know, take apart what they believed. And the thought is, is, all right, well... Who who's you putting your faith in? And once you put your faith in all that and you finally figure out that it's God and not this person, what do we do with this person, right? Some of them had some great things to say. They added to the body, but they've done tremendously horrid things. But are we restoring them to the body? Maybe not to their places, but are we restoring to them to the body? Maybe. Are we letting them fade to oblivion? Possibly. Are these things good? I sometimes know. Sometimes no, and the challenge is, what do we do? We're the ones who propped them up, made them highly powerful, said they're, they're, this is their calling and their destiny and supported that, and then didn't give them the support, or they hid, uh, hid a sin, and we find it out. And, and in the past, it was either covered up or it, it, and recently brought to light, or it was just immediately brought to light, not by the brethren, not before the church, nope, in the public eye in the media. And people walk away from the church and say, I can't be a part of that. And then we and then we come to the other end and there's no restoration. There's just judgment. And we sit here on a pretty high horse and we think on that. And no wonder in the shack there's that whole judgment seat scene where God's like, well, who are you going to sentence to, you know, who are you going to sentence to hell? Your son or your daughter? So the point is restoration then. 
where do we sit on restoration? Well, let's first let's first note that I the burden of that icon is was never meant to be how we how we portray Christianity sometimes here in America. I'm going to say sometimes because I can't say it's a hundred percent across the board. Is a burden that the yoke is heavy, and I say yoke because there's a great a great verse in Matthew 11, 29 through 30, where Jesus talks about his teaching. And the teaching of a rabbi was sometimes referred to a yoke, like you put on an oxen that pulls a cart or, a, or plows a field. So Jesus is talking about himself. Here's the verse. Listen up. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus is talking about himself. Look, he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest with me. So he's not, he's not high and haughty. He's not, you need to, to try to schedule an appointment with me. Right? And, and what he means here is the burden that he's talking about is the burden of the law. And we in America have made our own law of what it, like it is to be Christians. But let's compare the burden that Jesus was talking about because the burden that Jesus was talking about was the over 600 regulations. This is just an example in, on just what qualified as working on the Sabbath. That was just one thing of the law interpreted at that time, right? And according to, there's over 600 commandments in the Old Testament, according to Jewish belief, and some say less. But the regulations that came out of just not working on the Sabbath was over 600 that you had to keep, right? And ours is about 10 that are impossible, almost impossible to keep. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for to live a blameless, to live a life outside of temptation. These things, but these things happen, right? And we're supposed to confess to one another so that they don't, right? And so in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, right prior to that, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So the church is supposed to be opening the doors and not putting things upon them, but sending them to Jesus. So bringing people to the guy who says, hey, I'm lowly in heart. Come to me, you who struggle today. And here's the struggles for today. Struggle in your mind from anxiety, depression, judgment, being a workaholic, the expectations of the church. All these burdens that the world is putting on you, that you put on yourself, come and bring them to me, and I will give you rest from them. And then I will teach you, because I am low in heart and I am gentle, about the way to really do things and be at ease and be light. And as we do that, then we look to our brother who's, who we kicked to their butts or who's made a major mistake because their burden wasn't easy, because their yoke wasn't light. And we go, hey, Let's get you, let's restore you and get you back on, on track. Let's let us have good wills towards man and, and do this, right? So 
knowing where to begin with restoration. Well, let's first understand what what we're fighting, right? Romans five twenty says, "Now the law is coming to increase the trespasses, where sin increased, grace abounds all the more." So that sin reigned in death, and grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ. So, and sin, the word sin means to miss the mark, right? That there's this mark, that there's this standard, and the standard is God. (laughs) And no man can make that mark since the garden. Since after creation, when we took on the knowledge of evil, because we already knew what good was, since we took on the knowledge of good and evil, now we know the mark, and now we need to make it to the mark. And we can't. We never have. Even a baby doesn't because a baby is selfish. <laughs> and we could talk about kids going to heaven and, and such, and that's a theological thing. Look, I leave that to, to a whole nother discussion, Right? And yes, we're going to see our children. Um, that's the ultimate way to clear that up. But missing the mark. So when when you miss the mark, continually increase. Grace abounds all the more, and grace isn't cheap. It cost it cost the savior of the universe. It cost God's life, His blood spilt to to relieve an ancient law. It cost that. And so as sin has reigned previously to that in death, grace might also reign through the righteousness leading through Christ who died to eternal life. Right? So there's this grace we're supposed to get. Now, grace doesn't mean we let people keep running rickshaw, ramp it through, and causing damage. But it doesn't also mean that we ostracize them and put them and penally put them in a jail cell uh you know, in the four walls of our church. That's not how this works. Right? And, and you would probably quote Romans 6, 1 through 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died sin and still live in it? Who have died to sin and still live in it? So... So what does grace and restoration look like? It looks like meeting a man or woman where they're at, knowing their weaknesses, and addressing it. Now, yes, there's times they, that, that a person won't admit to it and, or disagree, and that is when the Bible says... You're going to need to leave them to the devil and, they'll, and let the Lord handle it. And I, and I look at this list of 21, and, and I'm going to say Christian public figures, but I, most of them are pastors and, and teachers. And, and I know that we've not only... Here's the, the, the most messed up part about this. Not only did we destroy the person... We destroyed the family that that person had, his children. We didn't take them into account. We didn't take the wives into account. 
And sometimes the wives are just as big as the problem too because they're either complicit or partnering. But what did we do to rectify after? I, I look at, at this list and, and I've, only, I've only met one person after the, the bombshell of their perceived falling. And, and Ted Haggard was very humble in the situation and very meek and low of heart and um, definitely knew that he had messed up and was looking for restoration. And um, I don't follow Ted, but I, I, I do hope he's found a, a semi-balance semi of normalcy from what he used to have. And that we, uh, as a body of believers, can look to still garner wisdom and knowledge from a person because one mistake or mistakes doesn't make a man or woman. Right? It doesn't define them. So, in restoration, we, we look to keep one another from stumbling. In um, Romans fourteen thirteen says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but decide neither to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of our brother. And man, that's hard. Because when you're hurt, you have to let go of hurt so as to not pass any more judgment. So the beginning of restoration comes with, with the restoration of one's own heart in the situation. Right? And and then we we be honest to one another, right? Uh, and we do it in love because honesty can happen in judgment. If you haven't gotten past the first part, how are you going to restore anything? Um, right? You, you don't lie. Uh, you have to be honest to the person. Uh, Ephesians four fifteen would say. Rather speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ Jesus. So when we speak the truth in love, we're more like Christ. So even in restoration, there's a growth in who we are as believers. Right? People fall. We get hurt. But we're more likely to forgive our family members then we are a, a spiritual leader or a sp <laughs> spiritual friend. Man, how many relationships have I seen destroyed because of, because of unforgiveness? And in this holiday season, in this time of, of love and laughter and Christmas carols and for some loneliness, man, restoration is is one of the greatest stories that we, we cling to, right? And in restoration, let's continue on this track, and then I'll, I'll talk about some of those, the, the greatest restoration story of the season. Um, that's made up, because Jesus is always the greatest restoration story. So, so first, you have to 
you have to forgive the forgive and restore oneself. And and then you have to be honest with the person. Um, and then ultimately you have to forgive the person. The hardest part of restoration is forgiveness. And the reason why I talk to restoration from the point of the restorer is because that's where it needs to start. And then once you're past that part and you go to help the other person be restored, because if there's hate or malice between it, how's the what burden? How's that person to handle that burden? They know they fucked up. And so at sometimes looking at this list, the world knows they fucked up. I know you're you're kind of shocked at, at at the Raven's language at the moment, but sometimes an expletive is the proper way to explain something. And you won't always hear this Raven use expletives, but I falling short hurts. It hurts the people around you, and it hurts the person. And in that falling short, the people around you fall short when they're unable to forgive. And it's like this chain reaction that's opposite to the kingdom. I'm going to tie this all together with in this season with the story that I, I was speaking about a moment ago, which is a Christmas carol. Scrooge is messed up. And ultimately, he's he's taken on an, a, a, a spiritual journey with three spirits, three messengers, to show that, that he's messed up. But in the end, he's given the opportunity for restoration. Goodwill towards men and not a... And Scrooge did not live, had not, was never better to his word than after the, those visits. He was never better to his word. And he embraced the spirit of the holiday, which is the love of Christ. Are we embracing that spirit? Are we holding someone to the iconic ideal of Christianity. Right? And this is not a, a tightly knit podcast episode. I don't feel like it is. And this raven needs to be honest. <laughs> but I think there's something to be said about forgiveness, restoration, and not being yoked by this inattainable, unattainable Christian ideal that we set up here in America. So my challenge to you, my dear Parliament, my dear Ravens, is during this holiday season, let go. Find forgiveness and start with yourself. I think the person that needs to be restored the most in any relationship is oneself with oneself. And if that's not you and there's somebody else, um, forgive them and look for restoration. And not everything can be brought back, right? Things change 
things evolve. But with that, there's growth, there is hope, there is kingdom. So, think on it, and I'll see you next time. And, again, Merry Christmas. If you enjoyed the conversation, please hit the like and subscribe button and give us a rating. Also, if you'd like to see what's going on with more of the Parliament, please visit gravitas.org. Also, intro music by Russ Budgen and exit music by Arnav Siravistav. Thanks again.